the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Wednesday, April 27th, 2022. Let me give you a quote here. Get the illegals out of California. Quote, close quote. Same person used the word wet in the context of immigrants from Mexico. You know, an ugly phrase about that. I can't and wouldn't use it here or anywhere. This person did. Uh, he also blamed the president for me not being tougher on border control and uh, meaning illegal immigrants from Mexico. He said, quote, let's go after him, close quote. Uh, some white nationalist group or speaker, some conservative Republican. No, no. And nope. That would all be quotations from one Cesar Chavez. I was reminded of this for two reasons. First. Listening to comedian Paul Rodriguez the other day talk about the history of his family and the grape strike, he was making the point that in those days it was the migrant workers in America, mostly of Mexican heritage, who were most opposed to illegal immigration, including their leader, Cesar Chavez. I'd heard of that, hadn't thought of it for some time, never focused on it too terribly much, but then was reading the New York Times this morning and uh, the columnist Tom Edsel wrote a piece titled, quote, where does all that hate come from? Close quote. And of course, as you can imagine, it's all about whites and conservatives feeling anxiety. Remember that word over what Edsel calls a fear of losing our white majority here. Indeed, this line had me thinking about Paul Rodriguez and Cesar Chavez from The New York Times, quote, individuals who view illegal immigrants as weakening the U.S. con economy, the socially conservative position, might also fear that immigrants will bring in dangerous and polluting foreign elements and subvert American traditions and order. For some people, immigration, still quoting from the New York Times today, for some people, immigration is conceived as akin to contamination, as allowing impure foreign elements into a sacred and pure American body politic. And those apprehensions about contamination drive their resistance to immigration, perhaps legal as much as illegal. Close quote. What people? Of course, back to quoting the New York Times, Trump supporters might have had a latent tendency to be opposed to immigration. But when Trump comes along and tells them that we need to build a wall, this made them think that immigration must really be a problem. And so this latent tendency is activated. Then, when the state gets involved in building this wall and aggressively enforcing immigration, it brings power and action to these tendencies. Close quote. One more quote from the op-ed, if I may. Quote, hostility to immigration seems to be tightly related to a person's larger worldview, so that a person that tends to be right-wing will also tend to have hostility to immigration, and a person who is left-wing will tend to be more open. Oh, and as I mentioned, uh, yes, there is a reference to a fellow New York Times columnist, Charles Blow, who calls all of this, quote unquote, white anxiety. 
I'm old enough to remember when the angry black female concept was a prejudicial slur, rightly so, but this is all just a bit much, isn't it? There's a lot to be angry about right now, especially if you're a conservative, whether it's the government shutting down businesses by fiat, closing churches and synagogues, mandating injecting a new drug into children, masking the population, including children, encouraging citizens to report on one another, lying about all of the above while also denying it, covering up data in order to defend it, unleashing a mental health crisis in the meantime, abandoning our allies and Americans on the ground in Afghanistan while lying to us about that, posturing to turn hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions, again, to the leading state sponsor of terror in the world. We are angry that progressives could go on riots throughout the country for months, killing fellow Americans and firebombing courthouses and police precincts while Democrats lied about that and defended it when they weren't lying about it and raised funds for it when they weren't defending and lying about it. But we're calling an insurrection a one-day, several-hour melee where the only loss of life was a right-wing protester. And we are still lied to about that. We are angry about a president who requires a staff to correct and repudiate him on international wartime statements only for him to retract and repudiate his staff's corrections. We are angry about an assault on our energy independence, using our children for adult sexual propaganda and adult racial debates. We are angry about the explosion of illegal fentanyl, killing inordinate numbers of Americans. We are angry about the notion that science, which must be rigidly followed in the name of science, can change on a dime for political considerations Mainstream media censoring other media for partisan purposes. Oh, there's a long list of things to be angry about right now. But about none of my political anger is the issue of losing a white majority due to just, quote unquote, immigration to America. It never even occurred to me as an issue or an issue to care about. I honestly would like to ask everyone in this audience if the same is true for them, for you. Is the cause of any of your political concern the fact that the white population may become a minority population in this country because of legal immigration? Putting my cards on the table and as someone who's lived in a minority majority cities a few times in my life, I don't think about it now and didn't think about it then until I read the New York Times this morning. What I'm angry about reading is another progressive set of scholars telling conservatives who they simply do not pay attention to and the rest of the world who they try to lecture rather than learn from what conservatives actually think. I believe the psychological word for that is projection. But more than that, it's ignorant projection. Why ignorant? It's interesting in this very long op-ed, longer than most they allow, not a conservative is quoted which is even less difficult to get than actually reading what conservatives write and listening to what they say. Let's take one of the most popular conservative and probably one of the most right-of-center conservative institutions. Let's take talk radio. I know of no host in my syndicate or any other that speaks like Thomas Edsel of the New York Times says we do or thinks like Thomas Edsel says we do. Indeed, Cesar Chavez said much, much more, indeed outrageous things about just the illegal Mexican-American population than any recognizable conservative in America, much less any conservative 
I've ever heard of or know. You know conservatives afraid of more Clarence Thomases, more Williford Rileys, more Larry Elders, more Thomas Souls, more Shelby Steeles. I think most conservatives, and by most I mean well over 90 percent, would love to be governed by state statesmen like that. In fact, I'd suggest it is the condescending liberal left that is more afraid of these minorities than we are. They actually use their main institutions, think the L.A. Times, to slur and libel African-Americans who happen to be conservative. They even engage in race baiting and gross purity analogies, like calling Larry Elder a white supremacist or koshering Hitler of being not a white supremacist in order to blast evangelicals in the South who don't want their very young children exposed to adult themes in school. Yes, that was what that whole Hitler wasn't a white supremacist thing was about, if you don't recall. It was all an effort to make evangelicals seem racist. It's complicated, I know, but then again, you twist logic into half-baked pretzels and yeah, It's complicated. Some would have thought impossible once upon a time, but we now live in a world where anything is possible, including males winning women's championships, something else we tend to get angry about. It's a turnaround jump shot. It's everybody jump start. It's every generation throws a hero up the pop charts. Medicine is magical and magical is art. Think of the boy in the bubble and the baby with the baboon heart. Staccato signals of constant information, a loose affiliation of millionaires and billionaires and baby, whoa, baby. But really, about none of our concern is less white Americans. What we care about is what the Ukrainians justifiably care about, our national sovereignty and borders. What we care about is what everybody cares about, rising violent crime. What we care about is double standards in fighting that crime, as if we've taken the John Donne notion that the death of any man diminishes me because we are members of mankind and converting it into some kind of animal farm ethic that the death of some should affect all while the death of others shouldn't. Because while we say we are all equal here, some are now deemed more equal than others for purposes of racial political revenge. The leading critical race theorist in this country, after all, Ibram X. Kendi, showered with millions of dollars of grant money, given book publication deals galore and specials he's paid for on Netflix, along with an exceedingly lucrative speech and tour contract, proudly writes, quote, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination, close quote. His publisher's website boasts that quote as well. They are not ashamed of it. They are proud and strutting over it. But it reminds one of another famous Democrat named George Wallace, who Joe Biden said represents the Republican Party. What was Wallace's most famous rallying cry? Quote, let us rise to the call of freedom, loving blood that is in us and send our answer to the tyranny that clanks its chains upon the South. In the name of the greatest people that have ever trod this earth, I draw the line in the dust and toss the gauntlet before the feet of tyranny. And I say segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Just like Yabram Candy says about discrimination, isn't it? Who would have ever thought we'd arrive at a place in America 
where the leading anti-racist scholar in America, who is himself a racial minority, would take the cry of George Wallace, the totemic representation of racist segregation in the 1960s and 1970s, and warm over that toxic soup to come up with a hero's journey of wokeism that is supposed to constitute our new avant-garde racial consciousness, which is in turn supposed to redress issues of racism in America. Well, as Dennis Prager said just today, many people confuse revenge with justice. In any event, if there are liberal left writers who are trying to understand what we think, it's that we don't obsess on immigration, as you say, and we are delighted when an immigrant comes here and becomes an American and takes on the love of this country the way Abraham Lincoln described. It's interesting in that New York Times piece. They use the word immigration. They almost never, in fact, don't use the phrase illegal immigration. They just put it all into the same basket in order to taint us. No, we don't hate immigration. What we hate is crime. What we hate is that we have a border disaster, which is not the same thing as an immigration problem. It is, however, part of an illegal immigration problem. What we hate is the crime. What we hate is the drugs and trafficking. What we hate is that Legal immigration is hobbled because the Democrats refuse to fix the border problem and continue to engage in group libel and slander rather than fix it because that is their political expedience. What we hate is that we have a system that refuses to help our immigrants become Americans because our elites like our country less than most legal immigrants. Think on that. It bears repeating. What we hate is that we have a system that refuses to help our immigrants become Americans because our elites here like our country less than most legal immigrants. Find me, end of the day, the conservative that does not stand with or believe with Abraham Lincoln, who said this, quote, we have with us new and immigrant Americans, and if they look back through American history, to trace their connection with those days of our founding by blood, they find they don't have that. They cannot carry themselves back into that glorious epic and make themselves feel that they are part of us. But when they look through that old Declaration of Independence, they find that those old men say that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And then they feel that that moral sentiment taught in that day evidences their relation to those men, that it is the father of all moral principle in them and that they have a right to claim it as though they were blood of the blood and flesh of the flesh of the men who wrote that declaration because they are. Are. That is the electric cord in that declaration that links the hearts of patriotic and liberty-loving men together. That will link those patriotic hearts as long as the love of freedom exists in the minds of men throughout the world, close quote. But of course, the liberal left would rather slander and slur, comfortable in their own prejudices and revisionism, than try to consider or understand what we truly think or what Abraham Lincoln did. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We shall return. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I want to spend a little more time on this, but uh, this is great. Scott Johnson, 
the China syndrome. A Fox at Fox Business, Bradford Belt takes up the concern expressed by Jeff Bezos. You know him. He owns uh, Amazon and Washington Post, among other things. The concern expressed by Jeff Bezos about Elon Musk's buyout of Twitter. Given that Tesla relies on China for car sales and lithium batteries, Bezos worries that China may influence or, as he says, gain a bit of leverage on Twitter. And uh, Bezos says, uh, according to Betts, his relationship with with China is peculiar given a Reuters investigation in December that found Amazon had capitulated to demands from China to continue doing business and grow the company there. In 2019 as well, the Washington Post included an eight-page advertisement supplement touting the achievements and talking points of the Chinese government in a section that was off-limit to the paper's editors. Isn't that interesting? In addition, some 38% of Amazon's top-selling brands are based in China. Looking up the Reuters story, I think it's worse than one would infer. Amazon was marketing a collection of President Xi Jinping's speeches and writings on its Chinese website two years ago when Beijing delivered an edict. The American e-commerce giant must stop allowing any customer rating and reviews in China. A negative review of Xi's book prompted the demand. One of the people said, quote, I think the issue was anything under five stars, the highest rating in Amazon's five-point system. Ratings and reviews are a crucial part of Amazon's e-commerce business, a major way of engaging shoppers, but Amazon complied. Currently, on its Chinese site, Amazon.cn, the government-published book has no customer reviews or any ratings, and the comments section is disabled. Amazon's compliance with the Chinese government's edict, which has not been reported before, is part of a deeper Decade-long effort by the company to win favor in Beijing to protect and grow its business in one of the world's largest marketplaces. Do tell us about Chinese leverage, Mr. Bezos. You seem to have firsthand experience that should shed some light on it. To quoque is a form of logical fallacy, but the point in this case is a good one. However, it amplifies Bezos's concern rather than discredits it. You bet it does. Bezos, look in the mirror and then shut the H up. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. Also a radio host in his own right. He's here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. with the word on wealth. What's the good word today, John? Oh, we're just uh, watching uh, the markets and looking, still getting corporate earnings coming in. But uh, inflation... You know, the question really is, there's something in the Wall Street Journal. I don't know if you saw this. Yes, article. I did. Yes, let's talk about the Wall Street Journal and their piece on inflation. Go right ahead. Yeah, the talk is the possibility. Of, they're looking at maybe back in the, the late 70s when we had uh, these, these high inflationary pressures back during the, the Carter years. 
talking about, you know, is the Fed going to make similar mistakes that they had made in the past uh, and not staying ahead of this curve uh, to try to stave off the inflationary pressures we're feeling. And um, the hope is is that we're not going to have that type of a long, drawn-out inflationary period as we did back then. Uh, but what I found kind of interesting, and I started to think even past this article, and mm-hmm. if I look back just a couple of years ago, Seth, we were talking about deflationary That's pressures. Right. I remember that. And we were worried about the possibility of deflation, which uh, we think, well, that's what's wrong with that, right? Things going down in price. But that's when you have oversupplies of, of, of obviously, the goods and services that people would be demanding, whereas today we have these shortages. And it's not just because of demand, Seth. We have to look at all of the outside influences that affect mm-hmm. This, which of course Russia invading Ukraine certainly has a, a role in this, yeah. but as well as the COVID nineteen shutdown right. that we had uh, in twenty twenty, we're starting to feel the pain, you know, of those and uh, the continued policy uh, throughout twenty twenty one as well with the lockdowns and the different things that we were going through. Uh, I think today, I, I someone said to me that I think Fauci said that we're no yep. longer in right. a pandemic. Right. Was that correct? Right. I didn't right. hear that. Right, 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 right. Yes. For those but, that pay attention to him, he did say yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is he even still around? You know, I mean, you yeah, know well, him. you know who's going to stop paying attention to him after he said that, CNN and MSNBC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're going to stop yeah. paying attention to him. Right, right, right. But, yeah, um, sure, of course. I mean, it, it, it's wrong to blame inflation on Russia, but it's wrong to say it has nothing to do with Russia. Um, right. Right. Fair enough. Is that a, is that a fair sure. assessment? It's, an out, it's definitely one of the outside influences. Right. It's not making it easier. Right. And yes, of course, during the pandemic, we did uh, rampant money printing, didn't we? And we, we sure can even did. go back earlier, right? I mean, to quantitative easing and things like that. Yep. Yep. QE1, QE2, and so on. Yes. Yeah, so there there have been periods, if we go back and look at the charts that were even included in this, we see these spikes of the cost of, of food and of energy, uh, of fertilizer and so forth, that have occurred back during certain periods of time, back in 2008 when we had the financial crisis, back into the mid-'70s when we had those high inflationary pressures. Yep. And they, they were not long-lasting. Uh, but this article says, well, what would happen if, if they were, right? And um, I'm hoping that we as a, as a society, as a country, and as uh, I would hope and have faith in our leaders that we're going to be able to not make the same mistakes we've made in the past and to be able to work our way out of this and not have the stagflation that many are talking about. Right. And to have that, you need to have a huge, a much larger dose of unemployment than we have right now, I think. Isn't exactly. that fair to say? So exactly. that's that's yes. one of the reasons it may not end up being as long-term or painful as the memories of the 70s were. Agreed. We have a, we're, we're in the lowest unemployment we've seen in, you know, in, what, 40, 50 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've got some positive parts of the economy that are working very well. Uh, we do have some supply chain issues, and that's where I think we need to, you know, work through those deep, work through those issues, create a little less demand. That's why the Fed's going to raise rates. That is going to affect, uh, you know, your portfolios yeah. out there, out there who are invested in the markets. We're starting to see, you know, some of these uh, higher price tech companies that are having some challenges. We're seeing bond values that have been. Uh, 
uh, hurt recently. So all of those things come into play, and I encourage people, they need to take a look at what they currently hold in their portfolios, may need to make some adjustments. And if you're not, uh, you know, managing that wisely or you feel you're not really capable of doing that, that's where a good advisor could come into, into play for you. And, and so reach out to your advisor if you're working with one. Otherwise, you can go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com, and request A good advisor can help you, but you're a great advisor, and they can ah. help you even more, J.D. All right, brother. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and CIPIC, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Nicely done, sir. Talk to you soon. God bless. Thank I'm you. Seth Liebson. Brett Johnson coming right up. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. 34 past the hour every Wednesday brings us our dear friend Brett Johnson. He's our Robert Jackson Fellow in Constitutional Studies and also a partner at the law firm of Snell & Wilmer, SWLaw.com. We check in with Brett weekly to deal with uh, interesting constitutional issues. Brett, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it as usual. No problem. Thanks for having me. And uh, sorry you had to deal with Eric Spencer last week. <laughs> <laughs> we gave we gave him a name too. I don't remember what he'll remember. I'm sure. But in any event, uh, we we love yeah. we love all you guys. You guys are wonderful friends yeah. and uh, great attorneys. Obviously. Uh, okay, Brett. Uh, First Amendment. Uh, public school teachers. Public school coaches. The Supreme Court this week was hearing about a case out of Washington State. Talk to us. Yes, thank you, Seth. And, and um, the case is Kennedy versus Bremerton School District. Um, and the full name of the coach who's involved is Joseph A. Kennedy, um, who has a, a similar name to um, the father of John F. Kennedy, by the way, just an, an older brother of John F. Kennedy. So we just thought that was an interesting little historical fact for everybody. Um, but Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, the coach, uh, he was an assistant uh, football coach. And then after every single game, he would go to the 50-yard line, take a kneel, and, and say a prayer. Now, the game was over, and uh, the, uh, at, at, at what happened is that an opposing coach um, reported into the school district, said, hey, I think it's great that your assistant coach is able to go kneel at the 50-yard line. I wish my school district allowed me to do it. And as a result, um, the school district that Mr. Kennedy was involved in he was put on administrative leave and eventually terminated. So the case went all the way through the district court and into the Ninth Circuit and then landed at the Supreme Court this year, uh, or this week, actually. And, and as part of the situation, I mean, it, it, it would have been very, very interesting to be in the court at this time because it just showed you the, the implications of fact and law and the importance of going back and forth. Um, as to what the justices were, were, were dealing with. Um, in particular, um, whether or not the game was actually over for Coach Kennedy to be able to kneel to 50 yard line and no longer be on, quote unquote, duty as, a, as an employee of the school district, um, and then therefore be able to exercise its First Amendment rights. So, it, it, you know, the reason why the founders put the First Amendment. First Amendment is one of the, the, the most powerful Bill of Rights um, 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 situations here, and you have the, the freedom of speech, but also the freedom of religion and the kind of counterbalance between those two. What the school district said was, is we were trying to avoid a lawsuit, and if we allowed him to continue his practices, we would have actually been sued 
for in, in engaging in, um, you know, religion or promoting a, a specific religion. Right, right. Um, what the justices concentrated on, which is very interested, interesting, is, is twofold. Number one, that actually the employee, in this case Coach Kennedy, um, his ability to exercise his First Amendment rights post-game. Um, what other justices kind of re- relied upon was whether or not there was coercion by a coach and whether or not players and other coaching staff needed to come up and engage in a religious belief that they may not necessarily believe in mm-hmm. to gain favor from that coach mm-hmm. to be able to play football and get extra time. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting, the factual scenario that goes back and forth in this case. Brett, I, I, I will tell you from my perspective, I hope the case does not hinge on several opinions based on the fact pattern during school after, to be honest with you, because I am so concerned about free exercise and establishment clause cases as well as free speech cases being all over the map, particularly the religion clauses. I mean, what's so interesting to me about these claims of establishment clause violations, this argument, oral argument, was what, on Monday in the Supreme Court, wasn't it? Correct. Before the justices sat down and as the attorneys were lining up to make their oral arguments, the clerk of the court invoked the phrase, God save this honorable court, while across the street in Washington, D.C., before Nancy Pelosi gaveled the House to order, a chaplain on the payroll of the federal government invoked a prayer for the for the nation in the House of Representatives. I mean, at a certain point, we're kind of in silly season, aren't we here? You are. And and one thing in particular, a lot of people in the country might not know this, Bremerton, that is a Navy town. Yeah. And, and that's ah. obviously old, ah. old, 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 a lot of truth to, to, to my, my background, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you go to sleep at night on a ship and you're out in the middle of nowhere, you are getting a prayer from the chaplain yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. And and that that is that that is kind of you know goes all the way back to the Revolutionary War that that was quarters and that's what would happen. And so that's exactly the consequences issue. And actually, Justice Kavanaugh had that significant issue here: is what is the difference between a coach running out of um, you know the the um, uh, the tunnel and crossing himself, right. him or herself, right. and and basically then at the end of the game, you know, doing the exact same thing of taking a kneel. Yeah. Now we've obviously had a lot of uh, debate over the last three, four years about people taking a kneel during the Pledge of Allegiance and other other aspects of that, and whether or not that is protected. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's a good point. And, yeah. And, right, and so. So you have to you have to kind of do this balancing test. The problem is, and then I remember my first year of law school and my constitutional law professor, who was quite liberal, but he would always throw down his wallet and he would always say, the Constitution still has to be analyzed based off of the facts. And in this case, the justices really grappled with whether or not a factual development had been made at the district court and the Ninth Circuit Court to be able to make a First Amendment case and whether or not they can actually draw those bright lines as to what is allowed and not allowed. So if you're reading the tea leaves, it might go back down. I mean, it would be surprising on this court, but it might go back down to have a a little bit more factual determination as to what exactly the coach was doing on the 50-yard line. Was he taking a kneel? 
or was he actually praying? Yep. And if he was vocalizing it, that may have a, have have an impact on this case. Brett, I can't help but point out another part of the silly season. Your teacher who threw down his wallet, if it had any money in it, it said, "In God we trust." On it, just just yeah, that, just that, just want to just just this is what we're talking about, folks. Right? I mean, no, this, no that, that's ex- exactly what we're where we're talking about. And, and the nuances, but, you know, I think was, was one thing that's always missed in this analysis when you're talking about the school district is the school district actually trying to comply with the Constitution and comply with the First Amendment rights of both its coach and its students, or is it more concerned with the lawsuit? Right. And that is right. what the, the, the school district was arguing. If we did anything differently, we would have been sued. For, for violating the person. But they had been so, doing it for years until anyone said anything, and I think it was from a visiting team, if I'm not mistaken. It, it was a visiting team, and, and the coach and the coach from the other, the other team was saying, I wish I wish I was allowed to do yeah, that. Right. So I think that that is interesting. And, you know, the, the concept from the coach's perspective, the coach is saying, listen, I took a knee, a knee. And, and from if, if, if students or other participants wanted to come join me, so be it. And, and, and as part of that process, you know, whether or not they're religious or not religious, they're respecting the rest of the team and, and trying to actually make a statement that way. You bet. Now, uh, obviously, the other side is making an argument that it, it's actually coercion, and that is what the court has to obviously kind of balance. Perfect. Brett. Brett. Perfect. All right. We'll be looking forward to this. We'll get the judgment on it this summer, and then we'll go from there. Brett W. Johnson from Snell & Wilmer, SWLaw.com. Godspeed to you, Brett. Can I say that? I can say that. God bless you, too. I'm going to say that as well. Until next week, brother. Thank you. Thank you. You betcha. As we go to break, I'll put in a word for Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com. They're fruits and veggies. I take them every day. 100% natural. Boost your immunity and your energy with the power from Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Over 44 million Americans owe more than $1.71 trillion in student loan debt and are drowning in it. Up until my friends at Y-Refi came along, many of these people had no help and no hope. Y-Refi refinances defaulted private student loans while others will not. That's really only just the beginning, though. Through their process, borrowers will also see serious FICO credit score recovery, which will allow them to greatly improve their lives. On the other side, you can help these students while earning a great return. Think about doing well by doing good, investing in a secure and collateralized portfolio while earning exceptional fixed returns and helping other people. I take these investment opportunities and promotions really seriously, very seriously. And that's why I am proud to stand with and promote Y-Refi. I know the people at Y-Refi. They are great people. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y dot com. They're a local company. You can visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They're in the business at Y-Refi of helping people that others won't, and you can be too. It should make you feel good, shouldn't it? Go to investyrefi.com or call them at 855-316-3087. 
and tell them I sent you. All right, we're going to have uh, a couple other great guests, and I'm going to talk more about this uh, prayer and football case in the third hour with Terry Jeffrey from another angle. Terry Jeffrey is a great cultural historian over at CNS News. And, yeah, some questions about what Fauci said today that John Dombrowski was referencing. He says, we're really in a transitional phase from a deceleration of the numbers into a hopefully more controlled phase and endemicity. Endemicity. Thanks, Mr. Fauci. Thanks, Dr. Fauci. All right. We'll see if the ladies at The View will decide not to listen to him this time as they have not listened to anyone else who said take off masks and go enjoy your lives. They want to keep the pandemic forever. I guess like Wallace wanted segregation and Kendi wants discrimination. A lot more to do when we come back. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 